All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, college football podcast. It comes to you via Sunday because we need more college football content on Sundays. Appreciate you guys being with us. Um, we're going to come to you every Sunday through the off season, regular season, spring football. It all continues to happen. We got a couple more team previews that we got to get through. Um, today we're going to go Tennessee. I'm really excited to talk about the Vols because I think they're a team that has a ton of upside, a ton of potential as to what they probably will be and definitely can be this upcoming season. But there's some question marks. There's some definite ifs and buts with this Tennessee football team. We'll get to that in just a little bit. First, we'll tell you about guys coming through the portal. As you know, if you haven't heard the show before, please go like and subscribe uh, on YouTube at Cube Show 61. Uh, we always appreciate you subscribing there. Twitter, Instagram, now on TikTok. Uh, thanks to our intern, Reed Hughes. We appreciate that. Um, at the Cube Show on TikTok. I'm not massive on the talk, but um, if you are, get over there, check us out, see what we're doing. Brought to you each and every week by our friends at Wickles Pickles, Wickedly Delicious. As you know, we always love them. We always have them. We always snack on them and eat them because they're fantastic. Wickles.com. Check them out in your local grocery store. You will not regret it. All right. Um, portal's busy, man. Like there's a lot going on through the through the transfer portal right now. And it's because we as we told you a couple weeks ago, the graduates are still going to be able to come over. So let's just get right into some of the teams. I went, I'll go through portal guys coming to the SEC. I'm going to pull their film. I'm going to go watch them. I'm going to let you know what you're getting. So it's not just height, weight, stats. Oh, yay, we get him. Because as we've talked about, also, everybody pees their pants over kids in the portal. We all think it's the best at that position. We all think it's a great get. We all think it's an upgrade over what we have. Understandably so. Like, grass is always greener, just like the kids leaving. A lot of the fans just think it's automatically better. We're going to try to help you understand exactly what you're getting. Um, I went and watched NC State running back. Uh, Demi Sumo. Cargbaye, uh, I'm probably butchering that, and I apologize. Um, he's going to Kentucky, so Wildcat's going to pick up another back. I've been really high on Ray Davis. Our Kentucky Spring Preview is back there. If you want to go watch it, you'll hear me rave about Ray Davis, the Vanderbilt transfer, what I think he's capable of, what I think he is. Um, I think he was one of the more underrated players. He and Makai Wingo, probably two most underrated players in the SEC last year. Uh, but you, you do need a couple other guys to help offset some of those carries. The the negative with Karkbaye, first and foremost, is hasn't played a ton of football. I think he was dinged up in high school, and he's been a little bit dinged up at NC State. He had 55 for 305 last year, caught 12 passes, 148 yards. His hands seem to be fine. He's willing in pass protection. That's not going to be a concern. Um, some of the other bad is he's... He cuts a little too hard at times. Um, so there's not a lot of flow oftentimes when he cuts back. So it's very, it's, he's a very violent cutter when he runs the football. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that slows you down to the point where maybe the backside of the defense is coming down and make a play or you're not able to outrun different guys. Um, the positives are, you know, he's, he's got a really strong lower body. I've seen him run through tackles. He's very quick. He's pretty elusive for his size. So I don't think that's going to be a real problem with him. Um, and then he's got the zone scheme down. So Liam Combs coming back, they're going to run a ton of outside zone, a ton of stretch play. He's doing that at NC State. I mean, this all goes back to Dwayne Ledford and Satterfield and those guys. Um, 
you know, it's Drinkwitz. They, it's, they're all in that tree of they're going to live and die by the stretch play. Uh, and he can run it. Like, he has really good vision to be able to bounce to the outside. He has enough speed to get to the corner and get north and south and gain yards. I think he also is a guy that understands when to cut back. He, he, just, he, he has a good feel for how that play operates. It's not the only play he's successful with, but he has a good feel for that, and that's going to be a great start right there in that Kentucky offense. Uh, they're also getting linebacker from Northern Illinois, Davern Rayner. Um, he had 10 tackles against Kentucky. So hell, you should know exactly what you're getting. Guy was very productive. I went and pulled that game six, three, two Oh eight. So he's a sleeker, faster linebacker. I think what you'll see here is maybe Rayner, a guy who kind of, he, he's going to play on the alley a little bit. Um, I'm not going to say he's going to be a nickel and cover like a nickel, a nickel, but you know, he's going to be a guy that, when he goes out and he is someone who needs to run on the perimeter or needs to be a guy who covers a lot of ground inside a lot of space based on where offenses are going and where they are right now, he's going to be able to do that. Productive linebacker played a lot of college football. And again, a lot of times in the portal, we forget getting these veterans that understand practice regimen, schedule, violence, just how to take care of your body, how to manage those kind of things. And then we've already seen it. Like Omar Spates is a guy at LSU. You get him in the nutrition, you get him in the weight center, like you get all the SEC things that go with what they already know about playing big-time college football. Whew. Height, weight, speed goes up, production goes up, and this could be one that you see there with Rainer. And he joins his former teammate, Marquez Cox, who's probably going to start at tackle from Northern Illinois there at Kentucky also. So a couple of really nice get for Stoops. I think he's really fitting needs. He's getting guys in that are going to play certain roles and then just flat out guys they had to have. They had to have a running back, had to have a tackle, probably need another one. They've already gotten a few, but just – that's those are positions they had to have to go out and fill some gaps to potentially try to win 10 games this year. Uh, Texas A&M getting Boston College offensive lineman Finn Durstein. Um, five starts at left guard last year, six four three twenty. 320. Um, hasn't played a ton of football. I don't like that first and foremost. It's been very patchwork to try to go back and try to find his film and where he's been and what he's done. Uh, when he gets his hands on you and he shoots his hands very well, he can move you. He's got some power. He's a lumberer, though. Uh, there's not a lot of quick twitch. It's kind of like the Maryland kid that LSU got a couple weeks ago that we talked about. Um, he's pretty good in pass protection, has a good set, understands how to shoot his hands, when to shoot his hands, stays square. He finishes well, so he's got a mean streak that you're not going to have to coach into him. That's a plus. And based on the way that offensive line played last year, I think you probably need that just in the room, regardless, no matter what. And he'll fit in with their offensive line coach as well. So I think it's a good get for depth. Do I expect him to come in and start? I don't. Um, I think athleticism is going to be a big problem for him. When he goes against lighter SEC defensive linemen, he's going to really struggle with change of direction and being able to keep up with some of the athletes that he'll see on the defensive line in this league. Uh, Ole Miss gets JMU edge Isaac Yuku. Uh, seven and a half sacks last year, six three two sixty. This is a guy that Auburn was in on. A lot of teams were in on. A lot of teams wanted this young man. And think about Pete Golding. We've talked about some of the interior defensive linemen that he's gotten. He got a big boy nose guard out of NC State. You added some depth from Georgia Tech. Kid we talked about last week is probably not going to be an impact guy, but can be a little bit quick in there, do some different things. Now you get your jack linebacker. And Pete Golding's got to have that. And Ole Miss just got a legitimate pass rusher off the edge. So Ole Miss has taken a big step as far as just physicality, ability, 
and big play potential up front on defense, something that's been absent for a while. Pegues and some of those guys are coming on. So this could be a group that really makes a turn this season, the old Miss defensive line, because I'm going to tell you, Yuku is a guy that I really like. He's got long arms. He's listed at 6'3", 260. His arms look like he's 6'6". Uh, plays the run extremely well. People are going to talk about and kind of go nuts about the sack numbers. He plays the run well. He understands strike and shed. He can set the edge. He's not afraid to be physical, take on double teams. Like He can do all those things. He's fine doing it, and he can manage it. So I'm excited to see what he does in Pete's defense, and Pete has gotten a couple couple guys in who are going to help what they do and how they do it. So expect the front. I don't know about the rest of it right now, but expect the front for the Ole Miss defense to take some strides this year, especially with how Pete's going to coach them up. That's a good get. They also get Stefan Wynn, a guy who Pete has experience with. Played 304 snaps, I think, for Nebraska last year. Uh, was it Alabama before that? IMG Academy kid. High, high, high upside young man. 6'3", 305, so you get another interior guy on this defense that's going to be able to strike, shed, plug holes, penetrate, disrupt, cause problems. Once again, the Ole Miss front, defensively, I'm beginning to expect them to take a pretty big leap. That doesn't mean the entirety of the defense because it's all those working parts have to come together as we know. Like you can look at AM last year. They had a really good D line. Number one, they were out of position a lot, but they caused problems. And number two, second, third level weren't on weren't as compatible and, and didn't do things the same way. So, but I'm expecting the front win out of Nebraska slash Alabama. And then Isaac Uku out of JMU. That's a really, really big get for Lane Kiffin and that old Miss defense. Um LSU, they get Notre Dame running back Logan Diggs. Um now, LSU ain't got a couple kids that have had a lot of success against Notre Dame. Six foot, two tennish, 821 yards last year. Um, 17 for 114 against Clemson. So here's the cool part, especially that Clemson game. You go watch it. Inside zone duo is what he is really good at. And it doesn't mean like, he's a big physical sort of, I would say more of an inside runner. But whether it's power counter, he can bounce to the outside. He has enough speed to get the corner. He's not a burner, though. Uh, but what's LSU going to run a ton of? Inside zone duo. Like, that's they're going to run a ton of that. Uh, and when you have a quarterback that has the capabilities to be able to run, some of the zone read stuff, like you need a back that can hurt you there. So you get that in a collapse, want to try to take that away, and then the quarterback has run lanes. It's pretty simple. So I think this young man can so – this was the position of concern, this in corner for LSU this upcoming season. Now you have a running back that addresses that. It's just another back in that room if some of the others don't come along. And, yeah, Noah Kane looked great in pass protection. We're waiting on John Emery to come on. Don't know what the grades exactly are going to be like there. But now you get someone that's done it in somewhat of a similar system, at least from a run game perspective – and I think he gives you some extra physicality, which the Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock are going to love. Behind that offensive line and that group of tight ends with the passing game that's going to have to be respected, I think he's somebody who could do a lot of damage there. Uh, Marshall safety Andre Sam also comes in. He'll play nickel safety. That's where he's going to live. And I do think corner is still a little bit of a concern for LSU. Um, he had 10 tackles against Notre Dame uh, playing for Marshall last year. So, again, like LSU's bringing in the Notre Dame Slayers. Um but he's also a Louis, both these kids, Louisiana kids. I love that from Brian Kelly. When I sat down with Brian Kelly the first time, he said, we are putting an emphasis on this state. Got to get it back. And we forget sometimes you can do that through the portal. 
There have been a lot of guys that are taking this mantra, sort of. Like you go down to South Alabama, talk to Kane Womack. Um, we, we talked to Eddie Robinson Jr. out at the Regents Golf Tournament in Birmingham last week. He's like, listen, I bring in all the four and five-star kids from Montgomery. Probably knowing we're not going to get them. But if they get somewhere else and they don't like it or things aren't going well, we want them to feel home here. We want them to know our people. We want them to know our facility. And if they want to come back home, they got a place right here. It's a brilliant strategy. You have nothing to lose. Kane Womack's doing the same thing. Think about all the mobile talent that's just dispersed all across the country. And what's he doing? He keeps recruiting. He wants to develop that relationship. So when something goes awry, they're going to call him and say, hey, coach, I want to come back home, man. How do I do it? Come play for South Alabama. So I love the Louisiana kids. We forget sometimes kids can still come home through the portal. You don't just have to keep it all there in traditional recruiting anymore. So it's a good get. And you need numbers on the back end of the defense. 53 tackles in a pick last year. Um, he also played for McNeese for a while. Very productive there. So as we talked about with Kentucky, LSU here, a couple of kids that have played a lot of football. A guy in the secondary played a ton of football. So different coverages, mixing and matching, moving, lining up different places is not going to be a problem. That makes that a good get for Matt House. Um, also, South Carolina. These are some weird ones now. Uh, South Carolina gets well, – we'll go with Syracuse defensive lineman Jatius Greer first. 6'5", 260. He's got a massive motor. It does not stop. He plays hard as hell. Love watching him play. Physically, he's he's a little bit limited. Um, he's kind of like Big 99 that they had a couple of years ago that just, you know, athletically wasn't very smooth, but just got after you and just was nonstop. And you, you like you want guys like that on your defense. Just those energizer bunnies, just those ball of knives that are just not gonna quit. And and I think with Jatias Greer, South Carolina gets one of those. So Clayton White will love that part of his game. I'm also interested to see how much they play him out on the edge because Kind of a little bit like, and listen, I'm not comparing their game at all. But if you remember back at A&M, when you, you had one of the best, what now, one of the best defensive ends, maybe the best defensive end in the NFL, and he was lined up down a three technique a bunch of the time. So you had Miles Garrett, who was kind of because of the bare defense they ran, was lining up over a guard. And it's like, hold on, dude, you're wasting this guy. Like I saw a lot of that. With Jatias Greer, when I watched the Syracuse film, he's lined up inside a bunch, and I think he might be a bigger help outside. But you want to go more jet packages, too, with four and five wide. He's a lighter defensive lineman that can play inside, still hold up fairly well. He took on double teams well. They got moved a little bit, but he's, he's 260 pounds, taking on a center and a guard or a guard and a tackle. Like, it's just – it's not really where he should live, but he's got some versatility, good hands. Uh, gets them inside, knows how to use them, heavy-handed kid. It's a good get. Um, and then the offensive lineman they're bringing in. Mercer offensive lineman, Nee Mansell, 6'3", 308, uh, played both guards at Mercer. He's going to walk on at South Carolina. Uh, and then Charlotte tackle Jackson Hughes, a little bit different because Jackson's played a ton of football, 6'6", 295. Jackson Hughes, it, both these kids are interesting for different reasons. Obviously, South Carolina needs depth on the offensive line. Have to have it. Got to have it. Um, you know, you lost Jalen Nichols um, in the spring game to what appeared to be a knee injury. So that was brutal. Um, but both of these guys, I think, are super athletic. They're also light right now. They can both carry another, I don't know, 10, 15 pounds each. Um Mansell is very quick, changes direction extremely well, doesn't get his hands inside. That costs him against some bigger, better defensive linemen at times. But I think he could carry a little bit more weight in the pulling stuff. He moves really well. So think about all the pin and pull stuff that South Carolina is going to run. Power, counter, we see a ton of it. 
right? They run it. Well, he's a guy that can run and get out there in space in a hurry. So, and he's got two years left. I, I don't expect him to come in and dominate right now, but it's a good number to add at a position that you have to have some guys at. You just got to get some hats in that room. And then with Jackson Hughes, I mean, I'm talking prototypical, beautiful tackle physique, long, tall, long, his wingspan looks like it's eight feet. Uh, he's got really quick feet. He's super athletic, but he's a bit of a backbender. He tries to win with his upper body. Um, his pad level is shitty, to be quite frank, in the run game. That's got to change. Hands, got to get inside. But he's got strong arms. He's got strong hands when he uses them. And he has amazing recovery ability. Actually watched him against South Carolina. That's kind of a reoccurring theme today. Guys who played against these teams and were watching how they did, and then they end up coming in. Um, but I watched Jackson Hughes against South Carolina again this morning, and there's a couple times he's flat out beat, but he's able to kind of like just like find a way to get back in front of that defender and keep him off of his quarterback. I think he's got potential. I think he's got a lot of it, and he's still played a lot of football, so I shouldn't probably say potential, but he still has upside and can, can get better and I think carry more weight and can potentially help. Uh, finally, Auburn, uh, a couple of interesting ones for Auburn. Now, they go get Steven Sings, an edge out of Liberty, not a ton of production, 6'3". Uh, I think he's 255. Now, they wanted Isaac Yuku. Um, the kid out of JMU that Ole Miss got. So I think this is a, okay, we didn't get him. We'll take him. I love the way the kid plays. He plays hard as hell. He, he is a ball of fire. He's nonstop. He's tracking plays down from the backside. He's just not very loose. And physically, he's not very imposing. Um, he does play the run well. Um, he doesn't quit in pastoral situations. I don't think he has a good array of moves. He's not super flexible. So, this is not going to be a wow get. I just think Auburn needs some bodies at edge for a lot of different reasons, and they had to go get one, so they bring him in, and therefore he is that guy. Um, they also get linebacker from North Texas, Larry Nixon the third, Super productive, a uh, couple hundred tackles in his career. He has he's made plays all over the field. He's not a, he's not a real heavy blitzer. He's not a real at the line of scrimmage guy. He plays more off the ball, plays inside. My thought on this is he could sort of be the voice of the defense, the brains of the defense, because he's played so much football. He'll understand it. He'll get it. He'll know it. And that could be a big part of where his value shows up on the Auburn defense. Auburn now has good numbers at linebacker. I mean, Cam Riley was there and you go bring in a couple of others from Ole Miss and LSU. I mean, I, I don't, to me, this wasn't a must have right now, but it was there and you add some depth and you get a guy who maybe understands defensive football from a philosophical standpoint, just a little bit better. And he's been productive. So we've talked about it a couple of teams. You get leadership, you get a guy that knows the schedule, that knows the physicality, that knows how to operate and wants that opportunity. And he might be a little bit hungrier than everybody else. The big win for Auburn, the massive win for Auburn though, is Jair Shorter. Jair Shorter is the best receiver on Auburn's football team right now. Right this very second, massive catch radius, big physical presence, can get down the field from a speed perspective. I don't know why when you go to certain statistical websites, he doesn't show up as the number one yards per catch guy in the country because there are other guys that are listed there that he had more receptions than, but he was like 27.1 per catch. And he can go get it in traffic. I tweeted out a couple clips of him. He is going to be big time. And with this offense, as much as they're going to run multiple verts, He's going to be one of those guys. I've seen him attack the seam. He's lined up in the slot outside. 
double moves, running by corners, going up and getting the football. He is exactly what Auburn needed. He is a crucial get with a massive, massive need. And it's a big, I think this is, it's hard to say what the biggest get is because Peyton Thorne is going to be huge. Dylan Wade, some of the offensive linemen are going to be massive. Justin Rogers in the middle, like the cornerstone of that defense, maybe like you kind of build it around him at nose guard. But this one is one that Auburn had to have. This is one that Auburn had to have two years ago, three years ago. And now you got him. A big, physical, big daddy X-wide receiver can run past the corner and can go up and get the ball in traffic around anybody. Will take hits, doesn't mind physicality, good run after catch. He's that dude. This is a huge get for Hugh Freeze and that offense. I think it is a massive get, and I think this is one that you are going to see pay big dividends early. You're not going to have to wait around. This is not going to be a maybe. This is a huge get for Auburn. So uh, that's some of the guys coming in and out of the portal that from this just this week. I mean, hell, think about that, how long we just went. That's just this week in the portal with what we're dealing with and what we've got. Um, also, Georgia gets Dylan Riola, number one quarterback in the nation. That's more recruiting. Not really my thing. I have one other thing with Tennessee we're going to hit with that as far as recruiting is concerned. But a good get nonetheless, because number one, I watched his dad play for a long time. One of the better centers I've watched in college football all time. And you get the number one quarterback in the nation. I mean, Kirby's kind of turned into this quarterback collector with all these four and five stars and then transfer guys. And it just keeps working and guys leave and guys come, but it just, it's just been working. So why not go collect all the talent you can and then let the chips fall where they may and figure it out. Kudos for Georgia to, for that get to be able to go out and get him. Before we go to Tennessee, I want to tell you about Blue Delta Jeans, the most comfortable denim on planet Earth. Custom fit denim, lightweight, stretchy, flexible, and it looks dressy. So you can wear it with a sport coat, dress shirt. You can wear it out with a T-shirt. Doesn't matter. You will not want another pair of jeans. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Tell Nick and the guys you heard about them right here on Cube Show. They are fantastic. Instagram, Twitter, you can follow them at Blue Delta Jeans as well. Let's get to Tennessee. A team that I had them late. I had the Vanderbilt game last year. Um, so obviously Joe Milton was the guy. You had a couple of other youngsters that were going to play and be a part of that team. Um, if you remember, I mean, one guy we're going to talk about, Jalen Wright. He, he goes nuts in that Vanderbilt game. Um, what was it? Like five for 160. I mean, he had multiple just big runs that he peeled off. So we kind of, I feel like we got to take a peek into what's next and talking to Hypo, like, yeah, they wanted to close the season. They're looking for that New Year's Day bowl. They get it. They go to the Orange Bowl. Great performance against Clemson. But all those guys also kind of helped us start talking about next year, too. So I feel like I got a little bit of that being there for that game and being able to cover them. I, I'm high on Tennessee. I think that their ceiling is probably even higher than some people are thinking. And there's a few big question marks that are going to tell us which direction this goes. Um, you lose Jalen Hyatt. In, incredible skill. Uh, you lose Cedric Tillman, who wasn't always out there, but when he was, was special. You lose Darnell Wright, who I, for some reason, have gone back and been watching Darnell Wright over the last week. Uh, people who say the Alabama game, put that on and you'll see why I went in the first round. Maybe more from a pass pro perspective, put the Kentucky game on and you'll see why Darnell Wright's in the first round. And hell, you could probably say that about most of his games. Uh, but your two best offensive linemen are gone and they were both war daddies. They were both guys who didn't mind being physical, who got after your ass and they're going to be missed greatly, especially right because he was freaking big time last year. Now, Glenn Ellerby does a great job with that offensive line. So we'll get into it, talk about it here in just a moment, but it starts with Joe Milton and Joe Milton's got all the ability and 
I think from a deep ball perspective, he's obviously going to be able to do even more than Hendon Hooker did, who was a very accurate deep ball thrower. But if you go back and watch Tennessee play last year, watch the first two or three drives of every game. And this is what I love about hype and what I love about the offense is you'll see him miss one, two, three deep balls early in every game. Out of bounds, overthrown, too far inside, whatever it is. But essentially, that's just them saying, here we come and we ain't going to stop. We're going to keep dropping them. And that forces the safeties to play back. It forces them to play out. What does that open up? Middle of the field. Where does Tennessee bludgeon people in the run game? Middle of the field. Why are the tight ends valuable? Middle of the field is there. If you can't play man coverage, you're going to have a hard time sticking these wide receivers because they're going to line them up literally three inches from one sideline to three inches to the other sideline. You got to cover the whole field. And so now you're playing five or six man boxes which is advantage offense in the run game. When you have a mobile quarterback, even more of an advantage. Now you have a mobile quarterback that can also pound you between the tackles. And I think if Nico Iamaleva begins to come on a little bit more, you may see even more Joe Milton running the football. Because I, there are multiple situations like this. Florida last year, perfect example, where they didn't run the quarterback probably as much as they should because they were trying to protect him. So how much Joe Milton does early on in that run game – Probably will depend on what Nico's doing through fall camp and what he does through summer and how confident they feel in him, which with his ability and what we heard coming out of the spring game, they love everything they see. Joe's just more ready. He's been in the offense a couple of years. He sat behind Hinton Hooker. He's had his turn to be the starter at the beginning of the year and then take over at the end of the year. And now it's going to be just his. So I'm excited for Joe because one thing we don't do in college football, one thing we don't do enough of. We talked about at the beginning of this show. We all piss our pants with these guys coming out of the portal. Oh, my God, it's the best ever. Oh, so-and-so's in the portal. And I forget who it was. I think a kid from 24-7 Sports did a study. There was like 1,200 kids in the portal this cycle. 70% of them hadn't started a game. But we go nuts over all of them. All of them. And that's not saying that, you know, Keenan Peely's not going to be a really good player or John Campbell's not going to be a really good player coming out of the portal. Like we know some of the guys coming out of the portal are going to be really good, but it doesn't mean they're all really good. One thing we don't do, and I, people are going to get mad at this. They're going to say, well, Joe Milton transferred from Michigan. Okay, fine. Most kids in his situation were out. Bottom line, when Hinden Hooker takes over, starts having the success he did, they're gone. They're done. We've seen multiple quarterbacks play at more than two places. It's not like that's a death sentence and means you can't play more college football. We don't celebrate kids grinding it out anymore. We refuse to celebrate, most of us, the kids who stick it out and gut it out and wait their turn and then get a shot. And I know Joe transferred once, fine, whatever, but still, I give him a ton of credit for sticking around, and that's one of the reasons I'm excited to see what he does and if he can have success this year. Ball tempo, ball velocity, it's got to change. Now, one thing with Joe is that I think helps him, because of those splits we talked about a little bit earlier, and because of some of the quick game, like I don't think it's it's not as big a deal with him because leveling or layering the football, so up and over coverage. If you watched the Stallions yesterday, you saw Alex Magoo like throw one into the side corner of the end zone to the back out of the backfield, but he layered it right up over the defender and in. Like those are hard ass throws, really hard throws, especially like going full speed. Like you just don't realize whether it's 20 yards down the field, eight yards to the left. 50 yards down the field, like up and over coverage, like into coverage. It's one thing Peyton Thorne does really well at Auburn. He levels and layers the football well. Joe's not going to have to do as much of that in this offense. There's a lot of direct hit throws, 
where if you can fit it in, you're going to be good. That will help him a lot. But still, on some of the crossers, some of the mesh concepts, because keep in mind, there is some, there's a little bit of air raid foundation in this. So you get some mesh concepts, different things every now and then, backs out of the backfield, some of the quick screens. They can't all be 115 miles an hour. If he can learn that and continue to find that change up, he could have a massive year. I, I think people, so, some people laugh at the Heisman conversation. I don't because we know the numbers he's going to be able to put up. And there are parts of the schedule that I love the way it lays out. We'll get to that in a minute. But also, I think even with some of the guys that we mentioned before that are leaving, in its totality, the skill could be a little more plentiful. And similar to what we talked about with Alabama is you could have maybe, the only way I know how to describe it is maybe more B-plus players that essentially could help you be a better team as opposed to one A-plus-plus player and then some other B-minus-C-plus players, whatever that is. Uh, but when you look in the backfield, Jalen Wright, we know we saw Lake can get it done. Jabari Small, a little more shifty, but can also get it done. Dylan Sampson, I think, is the guy that gets some run and can also help this football team. Uh, wide receiver, Brew McCoy, we got, we, I mean, this was, he was this, this folktale of college football for years. Texas, USC, USC, Texas, back and forth, back and forth. Tennessee didn't really know. Spring game didn't see. Now we know he's a dude. Absolute dude. Ramel Keaton can get it. Squirrel light, squirrel light burner in the slot can hurt you in a lot of different ways. And everything that I hear about Dante Thornton, even the conversations of Dante Thornton's speed being in the same neighborhood as Jalen Hyatt is a wow for me in this Tennessee offense, which could mean some totally crazy, wild, different things that a lot of folks are not expecting right now. So that's also out there. So receiver's going to be plentiful. It's going to be fine. Running back, plentiful, fine. I'm worried about the offensive line. I'll just be honest with you. I am. John Campbell from Miami, he's okay. He's I don't think he's I don't think he's great. I think he's okay. Andre Carrick's a guy that could maybe fill a void in there. He does add good depth, and I think he'll help eventually somehow, some way. Ali Lane, probably a left guard. Cooper Mays at center. We've seen plenty of him. They're going to be fine at center as long as he's healthy. You guys know I love Javante Spragans. One of my favorite players in the SEC to watch. I do not like seeing these draft people put him in the first round because I don't want the kid to get his hopes up like that. But that it's not that. I love him, but it's not that. But he is a war daddy that plays his rear end off and is fun to watch. He's got to cut down on some of the mistakes, the holdings, the different things like that. Like it's If he can cut some of those down, he can be a really good SEC football player, maybe make a team get drafted late. And then I think you probably got Mincy right now at right tackle. Right tackle, left guard, a little bit up in the air. Don't really know. We'll see. And then what kind of tight end help are they going to get? Jacob Warren was super valuable last year. You lose another super valuable tight end. Uh, I think you're probably going to be looking at like freshman Ethan Davis helping out. McClellan Castles, the UC Davis kid, I don't know a ton about him. Um, believe it or not, having trouble finding some of the UC Davis tape. Still working on it. We'll get it. When we do, we'll let you know. Haven't seen the tape on UC Davis just yet. We're working on that. But that's a valuable position. It gets forgotten about. But when you watch the split zone where the tight end comes flat across the line of scrimmage, the inserts that they run, all of those things, even if they're not devastating blocks by the tight end, let me kind of help you with this. Number one, you're getting lighter boxes. And if you decide not to play lighter boxes, you're getting lighter coverage. You better be able to play man or you're going to get your ass smoked. But if you play lighter boxes and then you have a tight end that can come flat across the line of scrimmage and steal a linebacker's eyes, so he's taking a false step. Uh Uh-oh, 
inside zone out the gate, or he, he looks like he's doing that false step and then he inserts up and he's coming right at you. He's got you on your heels, adding a blocker that way. It's massive for this run game. It doesn't even have to be devastating. It's just, it's forcing your eyes to do different things and forcing your feet to do different things that you should not be doing when you're reading a certain play. The position is valuable. And then obviously you get some of the red zone receptions, different things like that. They, they got to have more than one in this offense because of how they manage it, how they run it. They have to have more than one. And Jacob Warren did great last year, but they need another guy to emerge there. Mildly concerned about that one, not near as much as the offensive line. So all that being said, you still have a ton of guys that have been in the system and where to line up, how to go to the ball, when to not run your route fully and go get prepared for the next play, who, what official to give the football to, you know, plays that are going to be called because of where the ball spotted, knowing where you can line up, understanding that the next play maybe is not going to be coming to you and you don't have to be exactly where you need to be. Like those are all things that happen and that, that continuity is there. I do think that that Golish and LRB and some of those guys had a really good feel for one another, but Hypel can, I mean, he can pull the strings the entire time. So I'm not worried about staff continuity, play calling, things like that. Could you see, I mean, will it be as smooth as it was at the end of last year early? Maybe not, but it, it's not going to be as big a deal as it was year one through that entire deal. That's not going to happen. So we'll go to defense. Uh, I actually feel good about the interior of the defense. Like I thought Amari Thomas came on, did some good things last year. I think Elijah Simmons has got some of that left in him. Um, you get Byron Easton in there as well. So the, the numbers, once again, you don't have a game wrecker. You know, there's no John Henderson in there. That's not going to happen. But the numbers are a little bit better of capable bodies than they were a year ago. Tyler Barron can get it off the edge. So you have someone who can attack off the edge and be able to affect the quarterback. I think you got a youngster coming in that might be able to help you with that also. And then I think Keenan Peely could be a blitzer that has a lot of success getting to the quarterback if it's what Tim Banks wants him to be. And Banks has been a little bit, I would almost rule him as being overly aggressive last year, but I think he felt like he had to be. And honestly, he probably did have to be. So I don't say that with a negative connotation. I just think that's how he had to cover some stuff up. And that's just what he needed to be. Um, linebacker is going to be addition by subtraction. You take Banks out who did make some plays, added a physical presence, but locker room, practice field, mentality, overall everything, it's addition by subtraction. It just is. Like we talked about that with Kayshawn Booty and LSU. You're going to get that every now and then. Yes, he's capable. Yes, he's got ability. But I think with Peely coming in, Aaron Beasley really came on late. Uh, I think that position is going to be in good hands. Secondary, I'm a little worried about the secondary, to be honest with you. Um, I wonder if this staff will kind of decide early on in the season to say, let's just go ahead and get the young kids in. Because we had Banks a couple of times last year when it was a lot of young guys. He was really worried about it. And I understand that. Like, you're going to bust coverages when you have young guys. You just are. There's going to be guys running free. You're going to give it up. It's going to happen. But if you can manage up front with maybe less blitzes and less bodies in the box and you can be okay there, well, then that gives you more help on the back end. And so you can say, hey, young guy, we want more snaps out of you. I, I think there's some older guys that are viewed as a little bit of a safety net that are still going to get beat occasionally. So just go and get the young guys going. Some of this too may depend on the offense. If the offense is really rolling early, I would expect the defense on the back end to go really young early. That's something I would watch, keep an eye on as to how that'll sort of work itself out through the course of the season. But I think Banks does a good job because he understands what they are. 
Some people may say, oh, too much pressure. Oh, too many different. I think he understands what they're not more so than what they are. And he coaches to that, which is, that's a good thing. Because you can't have a guy just go in and coach to be something that you're not and just keep calling the stuff that you're not thinking that you're going to be able to find a way to get it done. That ain't going to work. So I, I think that Tennessee has a chance to do some special things this year. Virginia, fine. Austin P. fine. I know people worry about being in Gainesville, but early in the season is where I think Tennessee wants those games. It's one of the things I hate about the Georgia game. It's one, I hate a couple games late. Uh, UTSA, I'm, just, I'm warning you right now. And yeah, their big receiver just win the portal. The kid's a stud too, but just be careful with UTSA. Especially after you go to Gainesville, if you get a big win, just be careful with that one. I told you guys about that, about App a while back, and everybody laughed. Nailbiter. South Carolina, I feel pretty good about Tennessee getting South Carolina early. A&M, we have no idea, but you got two weeks to prepare. Uh, and you get it at home. At Alabama is what it is. I hate being at Kentucky after you go to Alabama. I just do. Uh, now, there are some real advantages for Tennessee in that game. It's kind of a contrast in style game. It's the, you know, it's, it's the blue collar workhorse, you know, beat you up in a back alley versus the Corvette. So, you know, it's pickup truck versus Corvette, so to speak. So there are advantages that Tennessee will always have there while these two staffs are doing what they're doing. UConn, fine. I don't like being at Missouri November 11th. I hate anybody going to Missouri late. Um, and the fact that you're at Bama, at Kentucky, and then get UConn, then go back to Missouri, I don't like that. And then obviously Georgia late, I just don't like it. I don't like Tennessee playing Georgia late. Tennessee needs Georgia early where, you know, you're healthy, you're good, you're you're feeling it, and like, go. But I still think that they have massive schematic advantages over a lot of these teams. Like I go down this list of teams and I look at, all right, man coverage. Number one, who has the bodies to be able to do it? Number two, who's going to call it a lot and who feels good with their guys doing it? There's not a ton of those. There's not. Like, yeah, obviously Georgia. Bama, usually. Pattern matching got them in trouble last year. Brad White had a really good plan, but there was one portion of his plan that Hypo and Gullish took advantage of, and they got a couple explosive plays off of it. So like, I don't think Austin Armstrong's group's going to be able to play a ton of man next year at Florida. Now, I think he might try to blitz the house down, but we'll see. Schedule lines up pretty nice. Depth is better. Quarterback consistency, offensive line, secondary. We'll see, man. And if they stay healthy, some of those late games that I didn't like, that's the main reason I wouldn't like them late is because of the depth. If they stay healthy, they can be really dangerous late in the season as well. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll be back with another team spring preview next week. There are going to be more guys in the portal. The realignment stuff starting to pick up. So we may need to kind of take a step aside with the ACC and their magnificent seven or super seven, whatever they think they're doing. Now you get some comments coming out of the big 10 saying they're not done. I, I don't have anything definitive on that right now. So maybe next week we spend a little more time on that, but we're going to be here every Sunday, giving you college football content. Please subscribe on YouTube at cube show 61. Go follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cube show. Now, TikTok at the cube show. If you like the TikTok, go get on it, go like us, follow along there. We appreciate it. Wickles pickles, blue Delta jeans. We'll be back next week. The 
Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.